world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Oh, I'm not great at geography. I, I'm guessing we're talking about South Korea, right? Yes. I choose to ignore the other Korea, because they don't deserve to exist. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, well, you don't know. I mean, you don't know about everybody in there. No, no, the people in there deserve to exist, and they should deserve a freedom. A f- they should deserve a freedom. That's a weird sentence. English is my second language. There you go. Here's a freedom for you. <laughs> Here's a freedom for you. <laughs> Here's a freedom for you. It's redeem one freedoms. <laughs> With a little parentheses on the S. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Please, may I have one Freedoms? Would you like fries with that? You know, the worst part about this is that now I... Instantly, I already want some McDonald's. Oh. <laughs> they got you too, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of things that we want that are bad for us, why don't we get started with the podcast? <laughs> it's good for the soul. Welcome to the Superhuman Registration Podcast, and uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, we are here to read some Christmas comics. Robo Hanukkah? That are, what was that? I said Robo Hanukkah, unless Bender lied to me. Oh gosh. Oh yeah, that's, (laughs) I've seen that. I I get bummed when I watch the uh, Robot Santa episodes, because the first one was John Goodman. And I think John DiMaggio steps in. And I love John DiMaggio, but like that first Robot Santa was really good. Robot Santa, you know, tries to kill everybody. If you're unfamiliar with Futurama, no. I I've seen enough Futurama to constantly be surprised by the amount of Futurama that I haven't seen. Uh, it's it's worth a binge. It's you know I avoided it for a long time. I was like, this is derivative of Simpsons, and I didn't know. No, anything. it's actually pretty darn good yeah it really is good i love it that's what i'm saying i was wrong (laughs) yeah (laughs) i prefer it to the simpsons blow for blow i think if you take the best seasons of the simpsons futurama is still better collectively Uh, i would i would say there's a higher percentage but the highs the highest highs of the simpsons are still higher but you can't argue with the amount of good futurama versus the amount of good i think if you took all of the simpsons all eight seasons of the simpsons Twelve. Mm, I'll give you 12. Arguably, arguably, <laughs> the one, the one where Homer does a, the one that where Homer goes on a hunger strike because the Springfield isotopes are moving and lying about it to Albuquerque. That I think is in season twelve, so I have to include twelve because it makes me laugh so much. It's so dang funny. He's doing this. He, you know, Lisa told him about Cesar Chavez, and uh, he's out there and he's protest. He's like protesting and going on this hunger strike, and he's about to give in. And a ghost appears, and he goes, who are you? I'm the spirit of Cesar Chavez. Well, how come you look like Cesar Romero? Because you don't know what Cesar Chavez looks like. <laughs> and, it's, and it's so funny. Okay, that's funny. <laughs> and then the real-life minor league baseball team in Albuquerque is called the Isotopes because of that. It's a, it's a little fun fact. Are we ever going to start this episode? <laughs> we have begun. <laughs> Anyways, sorry about um, that tangent. <laughs> yeah, that's just long. My goodness. Um, but yeah, the the Simpsons are good for some people, I guess. Uh, Superhuman Registration Podcast, we're here to talk about some holiday uh, single-issue stories, as is our want. 
at Christmas time. We've got an odd selection today. Where do we want to start? I guess I guess based on this collection, you could say we have a we have a killer set of comics for you this year. What 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 <laughs> That's actually a really good point. These are pretty uh kill murder happy holiday stories. Yeah. I could take uh, Moon Knight and get us started. Yeah. Um, cuz I'm looking it. at it and it's making me angry. So let's get it out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> we read Moon Knight Silent Night. Uh, written by Peter Milligan, Lawrence Campbell was the artist, Lee Lawfridge was the colorist, VCs Russ Wooten was the letterer, uh, Clayton Crane did the cover, and a bunch of other people, Axel Alonso, Drew Quesada, Dan Buckley. Um, the, the Mark Spector was a soldier, an area killer, then he was a hero. The intro to the comic, I think this is papyrus font, I don't know, but it's close <laughs> enough, it is papyrus adjacent and it's making me angry. First thing, um, we have some, this is kind of... Like a, a, a night in the a night in the not a day in the life but a night in the life of uh, Mark's and uh, it's uh, Christmas Eve and we're seeing um, him he's out on patrol and there are some guys who kill Santa they uh, shoot him in his chair and um, they uh, yeah I can't like they they're like working for some mobster and apparently Santa is on the mobster's naughty list so they kill him. They run out, and Moon Knight catches up with them. While at the same time, we're getting a story of this, uh, what seems to be a single single mom, and uh, or maybe she's a single lady, and she's just uh, talking to a kid at one point. But she's, you know, waiting for someone to show up, and she's not really content with her lot, and is bummed out. Moon Knight beats up one of the uh, one of the crooks. The other one gets away because he's having a conversation the uh, Egyptian the Egyptian god who gives him his powers. Now i got to flip back. Honshu? Honshu, yep. I can never remember because he wasn't mentioned in the last Moon comic we read. It was just, oh, this time Moon, Com- Moon Knight is going to pretend to be Spider-Man and Cap and Wolverine. It's very Batman, the way that we... Uh, the way that we see Moon Knight in this. He uh, beats up one of the guys. Well, the other guy gets away while he's having these imagined arguments. He uh, is in pursuit. The guy ends up shooting somebody else. Violence ensues. Violence ensues. He is uh, catches up with the other crook who runs into a, a telephone pole and he beats him up. I think he leaves him alive, but just barely, and he's in enough pain. Uh, meanwhile... This woman and Mark are both kind of imagining what life could be like, a normal life. He shows up uh, with blood on his sleeves. They spend the night together, and he heads out on patrol again. And both kind of somewhat content, but still not really content with their lot. And that's the end. Kind of an odd story. I, I've, it was distracting to me, the heavy inks in it. It made everything darker. Obviously, this is like a darker tone and... You know, if you're telling a story at night, you're going to tell a lot of it in silhouette. That's fine. But there's, you know, a better way to do this. I I thought that the art was a little disappointing like that. Everything seemed blurry. Everything seemed out of focus. Not as well rendered. Paneling was fine. Coloring was fine. Apart from the papyrus in the beginning or whatever that semi-papyrus nonsense was, the lettering is fine. And uh, (laughs) overall, just kind of a bummer of a story where, uh, you know... Innocents get shot, and uh, Spectre uh, has a has a rough go. A rough night is Moon Night. What did you guys think? Such a bummer. Yeah, not not a lot of holiday cheer on that one, champ. I like the idea of heroes ruminating on their inability to have like a normal life because of their hero duties, and we get a lot of that, especially with heroes kind of like like um, 
like Batman and Superman and Spider-Man more relevant to the podcast. But to see it kind of with somebody who is a little bit more like brutal, who's, you know, a lot darker than like Batman is because, you know, for as dark as Batman is, right, he's still a good guy who doesn't kill unless he has a, uh, you know, a tumbler. He has a tank named after a drink receptacle. <laughs> but here we have a guy who does kill. He goes after the killers and he kills them. Kill them back. So it is kind of interesting to see like what they would they think of is a normal life that they would like to have or or the life that they're missing out on right i i like that sort of thing it works much better with better characters like here's the thing so peter milligan i knew i knew the name i looked him up he's written batman he's written some really good batman too actually he wrote a story called dark knight dark city in which the Riddler tricks Batman into completing a satanic ritual and summoning a devil. And it's it's like, it's a really dark, disturbing story, kind of like this Moon Knight story. Uh, not quite as, like, the Moon Knight story is not as dark as Dark Knight, Dark City. But, like, he's he can be good at this sort of thing. But reading this story, it's like, you uh, should just be writing Batman here. He's also written Ecstatics, which is a really bizarre x-book it's uh the continuation of an x-force team where instead of being like the hardened soldiers or the black ops team they're reality tv stars and it's like big brother but x-men and all of these characters have weird powers uh i think princess diana was uh part of the team at one point which is awkward wait like the actual princess diana yeah, this story took place after she died, too. So oh. I don't remember that bit exactly because I haven't read the whole thing. Dupe comes from Ecstatics, to give you an idea of the tone. Yeah. So Milligan's a, a good, like, versatile writer. I don't think this is his strongest work. And I think it comes down to the fact that Moon Knight is just so derivative of Batman, unless you are very purposely doing something really different. And even this story where he's got, you know... The, the spirit of Khonshu showing up in a uh, Santa Claus outfit telling him that he can never have a normal life. Like, even that smacks a little bit of another Batman story. If I wanted to read a story like this, I would probably just read Ego by Darwin Cook, where Bruce Wayne gets into an argument with Batman over who, like, the real version is. And it's really good, and it's got Darwin Cook art. So, I don't know. He also wrote Five Ronin. I was gonna say. Oh. I was gonna say this is actually the same team, same artist and writer who did the. the this Punisher. art style worked a little bit better for Five Ronin, if I remember correctly. I, I don't think we love the art for Five Ronin, but I. I, do I don't know. We have Five Ronin better. pretty low. I think that's because of of prostitute Psylocke. Ah uh, yes, never mind. It all makes sense. Yeah, it's like when uh, they did a prostitution. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say like if you you know write your name on the SAT you get so many points if you put a prostitute Psylocke you're gonna be dinged down a few rankings this is the worst version of if you give a mouse a cookie it really is yeah if you give yeah. a Psylocke a prostitute wait no <laughs> no, 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 no 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 I can see I can, I can see our producer in the window just uh, doing the whole uh, no 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 the hand to the neck <laughs> do a different take. There were like looking at the art. I, it really comes down to the I think the way that it's inked because you know underneath that I think that you know 
the, per- the, the person who put this together like knows knows how to do a comic, knows how to draw people, knows how to frame things because like the way things are framed, the way that they're laid out, you know, like I said, the paneling, like all of that's fine. But it's just like this like scratchy like you know messy kind of ink on top of it that I mean maybe tonally is like works I, I don't know it I didn't enjoy the story and so everything else I'm I'm like choosing to look at the worst version of it I guess I just didn't enjoy it and you know Moon Knight I I want to give him a chance but every time it's been like well why isn't this Batman <laughs> every time I think at least when Moon Knight is aping the uh, personalities and powers of other superheroes. That is something, you know, to distinguish him from the Dark Knight. But, oh my gosh, the Dark Knight, the Moon Knight, I'm so mad. I just put that together. Never mind. He loses. <laughs> I was, was just going to say I wasn't so down, so so negative on the art. I actually quite like the art for this one. I think out of the three issues, this one probably had my favorite. Interesting. We're going to have a disagreement on that. I, yep. That's fine. I know I'm wrong. <laughs> it's 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 okay. We have discussions, and then one person gets outvoted and made to feel bad for their opinions. So you know that person's usually John. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have anything else to say, but like fool me, fool me once. I, I feel like I don't know. You want, or maybe you don't. I want my heroes to be heroic, and I recognize that there's a place for quote-unquote heroes with, you know, complicated inner lives and uh, things don't always go right for them and they put the mission before, like, all of that. I get it. Again, that's Batman. This is basically Batman and every single one of his girlfriends. I think the thing that bothers me the most about this story is that I have never read a Batman story where he just hits it and quits it, right? (laughs) Batman's been around for a long time, I mean. It probably is out there. It probably is out there and it was probably written by Kevin Smith. But, um... Actually, the, the one I'm thinking of is most likely, yes, it, that, yeah, yeah. Is it the one where he pees his pants in front of the mob? Oh my gosh. Yeah, cacophony, oh. or it's either widening, widening gyre or cacophony, it is one of those. That's such a weird name. I, I, I'm sure it, it's, it sounded poetic in their head, but the widening gyre sounds... Somebody who doesn't know what a gyre is, that sounds oddly inappropriate. It's gotta be a reference to something, right? That's like a quote from something. I always thought it was gyre because that's what he called it, but yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I actually don't know how to pronounce it, and I could look it up, but I don't want to because that's not what we're talking about. We keep Batman out of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the I think the thing that bothers me the most about this is that this is a story that is a one-shot, right? It is a Christmas special for Moon Knight. The story doesn't pick up from anywhere else except for possibly a current ongoing Moon Knight run, and it doesn't lead to anything else. And the ultimate message of the story is that Moon Knight, Mark Spector, is a bad boyfriend. Because the two parallel stories are, you know, Moon Knight beating the crap out of the Santa Killers, and his girlfriend being all excited. She's, like, making a turkey. She's, you know, dressing up really nice. Uh, She's having a really stressful time getting all of this together, but she's doing this because she likes Mark Spector. And then they skip the whole thing, go to the bedroom, and he just leaves. And that's how the story ends. Like, that's what you were... You've got this Christmas special that you're you're telling, and you're choosing to center the fact that your hero is a bad lover. Okay, but also, he's not trying to be... He wanted to talk, and she was like, you got your present, now leave. Okay, he wanted to talk after skipping dinner. She suggested she, that she brought dinner. it up. 
he was just passive. You could you could say that he's passive. Yeah, I feel like you're being unfair to, to poor Mark Spector. I don't I don't know, cause like I don't. Do you think he wanted to talk at the end there? I think so. I don't think so. Like again, it's the middle of the night. He gets up. He puts his pants on. There's no even indication that there's like a crime or anything. He just leaves, leaves the food uneaten, and he's like says something to her and she says forget it you've had your christmas present let's call it a night that's not something the girl says when she's like happy with where the relationship is i don't know what to tell you i'm neither a vigilante nor in a relationship (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, okay (laughs) i mean that he was covered in blood steven i don't (laughs) know How much of that do you want in your apartment? <laughs> like, he wasn't totally covered. He was dripping a little. <laughs> all right, that's I'm already done. if it's dripping, that's already more blood than you want. That's fair, absolutely fair. I don't deal with blood relationships or vigilantism. <laughs> that's that's the name of my autobiography. Also, potentially of the podcast episode. <laughs> What's the opposite of a phlebotomist or a phlebotomist? Not oh that no that's gross a phlebotomist. A no, phlebotom- it's the phlebotomist. It's the, you know, person who pulls blood, right? Yeah, phlebotomist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All those a the phlem- opposite. A phlebotomist would be, would imply that they're pulling phlegm. From your bottom. No, phlegm. Like phlegm bottom. Uh, oh my god, that one's counting on. Phlebotom. Opposite of a phlebotomist is a Dracula. So, um. No, they both pull blood out, Stephen. Those are, those are like, they are like unto one another. They, uh, both but the phlebotomist pull pulls the blood out to put it into other people. The Dracula pulls the blood out to put it into his tummy. He's technically other people. <laughs> They're in the same business, just, you know. Different target demographics. Yeah. What you gotta find is someone Same business, who... different audiences. It's the, difference be- it's the difference between a pharmacist and a drug dealer. Yeah. <laughs> One of them has a license. And Dracula has a license. <laughs> What license for phlebotomy? <laughs> I am board certified. All right, should we should we move on before we create a new character out of? <laughs> oh no! Oh no! I, I I've ranted enough about the Moon Knight. So if nobody else has anything else to, to say. I don't have anything strong to say. All right, should we do Punisher Silent Night again or or next? Yes, again. <laughs> oh gosh, Punisher Silent Night. Uh, so this is a single issue Christmas special featuring everybody's favorite. Holly Jolliday specialist. Nope, those aren't words. Have a Holly Jolly Jolly Holly. You know it works both ways, except the way you said it. <laughs> I picked the one way that doesn't work. Uh, the most jovial of superheroes, uh, Frank Castle. So, Punisher Silent Night was written by Andy Diggle with art by Kyle Hotz, colors by Jose Villarubia, Villarubia, and letters by Randy Gentile. Pretty fun cover by Mike Deodato too. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Punisher is on the stakeout. He is trying to track down this this former mobster, I guess, who turned state's evidence uh, because the mobster's life is in danger. So he murders his way through a whole bunch of people, finds his best source of information is a uh, mall Santa. He's a, you know, an ex-con who's quote-unquote trying to go straight. He looks like... I mean, he looks like an unsavory Batman villain. Uh, so Punisher drags him across the state to uh, the place where this ex 
family guy is laying low. And it turns out it's St. Nicholas Orphanage. He's there with this priest making confession. He's got some some guards hanging around him to, to try to keep him safe. So we get the scene that everybody wants to see from a Punisher Christmas special, which is the Punisher dressed up as a Santa Claus. Punisher mobilizes the orphans to make a bunch of snowmen into which he packs a bunch of C4, uses the snowmen to kind of like drive these assassins into this narrow range where they will all be in the range of the C4, blows them all up, he kills all the dudes. While he's doing that, the other, the Santa guy who was the snitch tracks down the ex-mafia guy and is like gonna kill him, but the ma- or, hold on, what does he even do here? The, the Santa guy blackmails the Mafia guy into, like, letting him go. The Mafia guy loses his temper, kills the Santa guy just in time for Frank Castle to walk in and see it. And the, the Mafia guy's like, look, I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. Please, please don't kill me. And so then the Punisher kills him in, bun- in front of a bunch of kids. And that's the end of the story. Yeah, this is like uh, mistletoe that they call mistletoe and you have to fight under it instead of kissing. Somebody's halls are going to get decked. <laughs> This is this is like that Wolverine Die Hard Christmas story we read. If it sucked, yeah, that's a hundred percent accurate. Uh, kind I, of right. The art was like not terrible because I read this after I read Moon Knight and uh, you know, <laughs> thought it was interesting. Not my style, but I thought at least you know like it was unique. I actually so there were a lot of things about the art that I like. Page three has the Punisher like lining up his sniper rifle to take out two punks at once, and behind him is a smokestack that's shooting out smoke in the shape of a really stylized skull. There's a lot of good stuff that's happening with, like, mist and stuff. Anytime anybody's out in the cold and, you know, their breath is is freezing and so you can see their breath coming out, like, I actually thought that made for some really striking imagery. This reminds me, artwork-wise, kind of, weirdly, of someone like Eric Powell, who did uh, The Goon and stories like that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's quite as sharp as The Goon, cause it, but it's going for sort of this similar stylized ugliness. Yeah. And so, again, not necessarily my thing, but I can see what he's going for, and I respect it. I have been trying to reconcile like the fact that, okay, The Punisher, he's still, he's still a good guy, right? He's still a good guy, and we have all these comics about him, and all, of, and then it, no, <laughs> like he's he's a bad guy. He just kills people. He has no room for any sort of mercy. It's it's straight justice. There's no shade of gray. It's bl- everything is black and white. And he's just he's just a murderer. He's just a murderer. Congratulations, John. You got it. You understood. <laughs> <laughs> you understood. You understood what a what a whole industry of policemen don't. Druggy Santa freaked me out. I thought it was like an interesting take and he was well drawn, but he freaked me out. Um, St. Nicholas Orphanage was a bit on the nose. This whole story was a bit on the nose. Exploding Snowman, though, did did make me think about Calvin and Hobbes. And so anytime I think about Calvin and Hobbes, I get, you know, it brings a little joy to my heart. And then immediately was brought back with uh, wanton violence and murder. If I were the type of person who liked The Punisher, and I have tried to be at multiple times during this podcast, this is exactly what I would want from a Punisher Christmas story. It's goofy. There is just this hilariously goofy image 
of the Punisher, like, dressed as Santa Claus, standing in front of a bunch of kids, like, with his arms folded, and, like, commanding them to uh, build all of these snowmen. It's hilarious! But, like, John, you're saying... The Punisher's not a good guy. And that's the thing that kept running through my head as I was as I was reading this story. It's like, okay, this is a story. And with The Punisher, you have to tell stories like this. This is a story about how torture works, right? Because The Punisher tortures all of these people to uh, get them to tell him where all the bad guys are. And the torture works. And nobody ever lies to The Punisher to get out of having to... You know, just like to just get out of feeling pain, so but without having to actually tell him anything of substance. You know, like real torture victims do. So it just—I don't know. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a violent fantasy for someone. Not ultimately, not for me anymore. Sorry, I've tried. I'm—I'm I'm kind of done trying to. I think. Same. Now, Punisher as a side character in. The Daredevil Netflix show was fine. I still haven't watched the Punisher solo series because without contrasting him with like a real hero, it's just like, let's watch this guy murder people. And no thanks. I think you're onto something though. I think Punisher works best when, I think to me, kind of like Deadpool, Punisher works best when it's not just him. When you have uh, the Punisher in a cast, you have some contrast. He is. What I think the Punisher does best is being a contrasting idea towards heroes who constantly, like, let all these, like, mass killers and stuff kind of go through the process, right? Like, they get them through jail and then they break out, blah, 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 right? And the Punisher in Marvel is kind of the answer to, like, well, what if we just didn't? And it's a very, like, extreme, like, example, but I think it serves, that's the point, right? It's like, this is, like, what is stopping Captain America from becoming the Punisher? And it's, like, a code... A trust in the system, uh, like that type of thing. So I think the Punisher works in a cast. I don't, I don't, and not that he doesn't work in in a cast, but I think if you want, if you want your heroes heroic, you don't want the Punisher. The Punisher doesn't give you any of that. He works in a cast when it's like I, I read a Deadpool comic uh, and it was ridiculous, but it had <laughs> fun art and it was Deadpool was framed for a crime. And the Punisher was coming after it. It was like, enough is enough. I'm killing you, Deadpool. And he, you know, comes pretty close. Spider-Man and Daredevil come to his aid. And so it's like all of them against the Punisher. They finally convince him that he's wrong and give him some evidence. As soon as there's clear evidence, then he's like, okay. And and it's as simple as that. That worked. You know, the Punisher as an unstoppable force of nature that you have to contend with. Not cheering for him not seeing the world through his twisted gaze. Yeah, I think there are stories that really do work only with the Punisher, and a lot of those do hit like on a lot of uncomfortable topics, and I think yeah. for the most part they they work because they're they're a revenge fantasy of like they're cathartic fantasies, right? Of like, oh man, what if we could just like kill all the people who harm little kids? right like that type yeah. of stuff and i think that's one of the few instances for i think a mainstream audience to really get the punisher but i think outside of that if you if you're going in for superheroes and you want your superheroes to do superhero stuff the punisher is not is not the same game no but that idea of the punisher working best as a contrast i think like i don't know that's that's why Eminem versus the punisher should be higher on our list <laughs> no steven <laughs> no steven 
It's exactly what you guys are asking for. Just saying. No, it oh my exactly. <laughs> it's not again. Okay, wow. How do I whew, you know when you you know when you're being screwed with, but it still triggers you and and you still want to have the argument? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mean it's like, I know you're just trying Facebook? to get a rise out of me, but buckle up. <laughs> uh the Punisher versus uh Eminem slash The Punisher is terrible and it should stay where it is. It's at like as much as I love Eminem. Very bottom. One of these days we're going to read a comic with a rapper that is actually good. I doubt it, but I am hopeful. I I I again like if Gerard Way can Not be a, a good rapper. comics writer, we can get some good like hip hop comics writers too. Even critically acclaimed comic book writer Gerard Way, who like who moonlights as a, as a pop punk singer. <laughs> <laughs> You know what is also impressive about Jared Way is that he has written for the big two. He did like the whole Milkman universe thing for DC. Uh, he contributed yep. uh, Penny Parker for Marvel, and I'm sure he's done something else. And uh, you know, Umbrella Academy on his own. Yeah, no, he's he is quite talented. It's it's writer. funny that he has a better comic book career than the people who tried to make a comic book tie in to their albums. Coheed and Cambria. Are they actually any good? I like them. I like an I've, album I've... of theirs. I don't like their comics. <laughs> the comics were a bit much. I Yeah, I've been told I would like them, but I haven't ever read them, and I've never listened to them, so, you know. It's it's like that Family Guy quote uh, where Peter's talking about how he doesn't like The Godfather. It ins- the, it insists on itself, is how it hey, felt. Hey, and, and I, I uh, have thought about that, and uh, you and Family Guy are full of crap, although. No, no, I mean, I'm not talking about that on, on Godfather. I'm talking about that on the Coheed and Cambria comic. It okay, I haven't read it. I haven't read it. Okay. I'm trying to stay on topic, but I just... I'm just looking at... It's, I'm just it's looking not at, happening tonight. I'm looking at Punisher, and I'm trying to, like, what it... It's just revenge fantasy when it's a solo series, isn't it? Pretty much. And that's not... Yeah, not what I read comics for, generally. Um, definitely not what I read superhero comics for, I should say. There, there are some really good sort of, like, revenge crime comic sorts of things right this is not one of them should we move on <laughs> please <laughs> all right looks like we're moving on to probably the only actually good book this this night maybe i think so but possibly yeah yeah oh, oh so, see so, oh yeah already already a better turnout let's go yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay so we are reading what is Kind of like a Civil War time. I mean, it is a Civil War time because it's, it's taking place around Civil War in the comics, not the actual Civil War. But this is uh, Winter Soldier, Winter Kills, written by Ed Brubaker, uh, art by Lee Weeks, Stefano Gaudiano, and Rick Holberg. Uh, we got colors by Matt Miller and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Okay, a couple things that are important about this book. This is Bucky's first Christmas since being frozen in ice in 1945. This is also right around the Civil War stuff that's going on, like I mentioned. This is after the the law has already gone into effect, so they so you already have people who are with registration and against registration. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of it. This is taking place uh, Christmas Eve. So Bucky is kind of taking a day off from, you know, murdering, I guess. And he gets a phone call from <laughs> From Nick Fury asking him to intervene. The Young Avengers, and in this particular lineup, it is Kate Bishop, 
Eli Bradley and the Vision are going to raid a Stark facility to try to get in good with the big boys. Whatever that means, that's a little confusing because isn't Stark, he's pro-registration, so why are they going to raid the Stark? They want to get in on the other side, though. Oh, okay, yeah. that's fair. Never mind, those, that makes those sense higher now. Ups, yeah. Gotcha. Anyway, so they're going to they're gonna go raid the, the Stark facility. Uh, Fury is telling Bucky that it's not a Stark facility, it's actually like an underground Hydra thing, and he needs it to still operate so he can catch bigger fish. So, Bucky goes, intervenes, gets into a kerfuffle with the Young Avengers. They get found out by a Hydra grunt, and then they kind of have to pivot, and they have to go blow up the whole facility anyway. So, they go in. They don't kill anybody, because the Young Avengers are not about that life. And uh, they they burn it down to the ground, and they kind of escape, and... Uh, Buck kind of goes to his appointment, uh, which is in a graveyard, which is why he wanted the day off. When he gets there, he's been tailed by the Young Avengers, and they're like, oh no, this sucks, I'm sorry about, you know, this, you know, whatever, right? And they see that he's at the grave of one Jack Monroe. One Jack Monroe? Jack Monroe, not Esteban. (laughs) Esteban, por qué? <laughs> Por qué no? One Jack Monroe. <laughs> so so they so Bucky's at that grave to apologize for killing Jack Monroe, and I'll get into who Jack Monroe is in a little bit. So he does that, and then after you know they have a little conversation, everything they leave. He goes to another gravestone. It's for Toro, who. Uh, what is his name again? Not just Toro. It's he was the Thomas Raymond sidekick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get into that too. But yeah, okay. Uh, so, so it's uh, Thomas Raymond's grave, and he gets to and he talks to Namor. He asks Namor to tell him how he died and to just kind of relegate that whole story to him. And uh, prior, or actually, kind of, kind of as a prologue and as as an epilogue, we have a couple flashbacks to like 1940s Bucky. Uh, during World War Two, where him and Toro are both, uh, they're both going to go to a party, and he helps, and Bucky helps Toro kind of hook up with this girl that he has a crush on. So that's kind of it, kind of a cute, kind of, a li- actually kind of a bittersweet comic, I think a little, a little bit more upbeat than the other things we read. But a couple of the things are, and I actually got really excited about Jack Monroe being, being mentioned here. So I think we'll talk about who... Thomas Raymond is Toro real quick that he was the original Human Torch's like sidekick back in like the forties in the comics, right? Is that what you were gonna say, John? Yep. Yep. He could. He, he was, was like he, Bucky's buddy because they were both sidekicks. Yeah, and I think he could eat fire or something like that, right? I think is he that, turned into a Human Torch as well. It's like if Jimmy Olsen and and uh, yeah, Dick Grayson hung out. But yeah, so so that's who that is, and that's uh, you know there were we mentioned there were buddies, and so he didn't get to see him. He didn't. He wasn't there when he died, obviously, because he was uh, frozen in ice with his arm somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> but Jack Monroe is actually a really interesting story. Do you guys know who that is? Yep, because I, I looked it up before this, but didn't recognize it on first glance. Yeah. So, so Jack. Okay. So, so the whole idea of Captain America being frozen in ice wasn't necessarily uh, part of like the first run of comics. In the 1940s, uh, leading into the 50s, he was still kind of just hanging around but without the nazis they made him like this anti-communist they made him captain america the commie smasher so like he would fight communists and he would also fight anybody 
who was, I don't know, progressive and like pro-gay rights and pro-anti-segregation and all that stuff. Uh, so not a super good look, right? So then when they reintroduced them back into the mainstay of comics after like superheroes had fallen out of favor and come back into favor, Marvel kind of brought them back and they did that whole storyline to kind of be like, yeah, so like the whole really terrible part, that's, that wasn't a thing. But in order to explain it, <laughs> because I guess those comics were so somewhat canonical, they created uh, Jack Monroe and... Uh, William Burnside as the people who were Captain America and Bucky at that time. But they were both kind of obsessed with Captain America and Bucky, respectively. So much so that like uh, that William Burnside altered himself physically to look and sound like Captain America and was that Captain America for a while. So he was the evil cap like the original evil Captain America. And Jack Monroe was was his Bucky. And uh, after after like that whole thing kind of happened and wrapped up, they did a whole storyline around it. He became Nomad and a couple other characters and uh, went crazy because of the superhero uh, serum that like he had, which Burnside made, if I remember correctly. So it wasn't very good. So it was not just like not just like wearing out, but it was also like killing his like, his um his immune system and aging and all that stuff. So he was going crazy. So Bucky uh, had to put him down, and that's why he was there to apologize for killing him. So I'm going to give you a quick correction here. Please. Bucky didn't have to put Jack Monroe down. Bucky killed Jack Monroe while operating as the Winter Soldier. Oh, okay. Yeah, that happened in the Winter Soldier story, uh, which we read a couple of years ago now, I think. Was that so, in that book? Yeah. Yeah, that was part of the original Winter Soldier story, which is the beginning of the Brubaker run on Captain America, which this is still technically a part of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So this all ties together. I was This was when I was really into Captain America and was reading these stories all the time. So, yeah, it's this is, this is what I want out of a holiday story. Like, not everything about it is great, but, like, you've got gatherings with old friends. You've got sentimentality, you've got earnest emotion, you've got, you know, people who are actually concerned about the well-being of others, and you've got end-of-year regret, which feels appropriate still, too. I don't know, like, this is not the best story that we've read, you know, in a while. Like, this is, it, it's fine. But compared to the other two stories, like, this feels like a holiday special that is actually kind of Grokking the meaning of the holiday. And with that, let's move on to the rankings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wanted to mention it's a good thing Namor has superpowers because he is not shirtless, but he is a, he got a deep V. Well, he is shirtless, but he's not jacketless. And so he can wander around a cold cemetery to his heart's content because his superpowers keep his, you know, chest that he always insists on exposing um, nice and warm, so... Bleh. It insists upon itself. It does! <laughs> That's a... Okay, see, now I'm glad we have that. <coughs> Name more suggest. It insists upon itself. Yeah. I feel like that's the whole tagline for the Namor. <laughs> yeah. I also, I also like that, um, that we have, like, this... I feel like a lot of the times we... Namor is bigger than life itself, right? Because that's his character, right? We have a dude who... who Runs around in a speedo yelling "Imperius Rex," so like it's not uncommon to like see him be you know larger than life all the time. 
But I do like that we have a, a couple moments where he seems a little bit more human than like we're used to. Obviously, mm-hmm. like at the end where he's like really somber about you know Toro dying or having been there for Toro's death and all that stuff. But also that little bit at the beginning where they're talking about going to a party and uh, and <laughs> Neymar wants to know like why Toro isn't going. He's like, yeah, because we're not we're gonna go do a different thing. And he's like, why are you going? Like, why are you dressed up? Because he was dressed in, like, all, all clothes. He was the most yeah. covered up I've ever seen Namor be covered up. <laughs> Not insisting on himself. And he just wanted to go so he could watch uh, so he could watch the Human Torch, like, get nervous around the girl or something like that. Which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, there were, there were good character moments for all of the characters, really. But Namor especially, it's like, this is the most likable I think I've ever read Namor. Except for possibly in some like all ages sorts of material, I don't I don't like Namor very much as a character, but he's kind of weirdly charming here. I like him when he's just a flat out jerk, but like serving the story, not like Namor tells it like it is. Like no, like, he sucks. He's a jerk. If Namor had a podcast, you know people would start it out by going like Namor's not afraid to say what people are thinking. <laughs> oh, God. Namor has Joe Rogan on his podcast. <laughs> oh. And every time he wants it to, just tells him to shut up. And, <laughs> and every time, see, every time he interrupts somebody, he doesn't start like with a sentence. He just starts out by yelling "Imperius Rex." <laughs> Wears a shirt just to rip it off. And he has wings on his feet. What a what a maroon. What a what a, what a light-footed fella. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't think it will go high on our list. I am looking through. Yeah, I will say I did like the art. Um, I did once again. We have the kind of. I don't want to say tropey, but it is kind of like a little bit of a trope. To have a different artist and a different style depict the flashbacks. Which, it's tropey, and it works, and that's why we keep doing it. Because it, I think it, it works. I liked it. I thought the art was consistent, even though we did have different styles. Yeah. it's it's. Uh, I don't know that I particularly care for the Young Avengers. In here or in general? Uh, from what I've read in general, the exception, of course, being Hot Mess Kate Bishop. Is that Patriot has a cool suit. I do like Patriot's suit. I like Patriot's suit. I don't know that I like Patriot's character. I don't, yeah. I don't I, know anything about his character, so. The only, the only Patriot knowledge I have is from the Young Avengers, and I did not like him there. He was the reason everything kept escalating. <laughs> oh gosh, he was in the, the Children's Crusade. Yeah. Like, Oh, right, boy. he kind of was the reason things kept getting worse. That's what I said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm just remembering that. <laughs> echo, echo, oh, yeah, echo, echo, echo. I'm just joking, but yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really the only interaction I've had. I know people. Some people. I'm part of those. Some people got a little excited when he kind of, sort of showed up in Falcon and Winter Soldier because I was like, yeah. Eli Bradley, we're probably going to get Patriot in some sort of thing later down the line. And then I remembered I don't like him. (laughs) (laughs) I just felt cool for knowing something people don't. (laughs) That is half the fun of watching all of the live action superhero stuff, right? That that, that everybody's getting obsessed over. It's like, ha ha, ha ha. I know more about this. That's literally why I started getting back into comics. I was like, <laughs> I want to be the smug guy in the movie theater. Who knows? Like, the little the little hints they're dropping. I want to be like, ah, oh, that's the guy. Who's the guy, John? I'll tell you after the movie. <laughs> Let me open up the Wikipedia article in my head. <laughs> my mind palace. My mind fortress of solid. <laughs> Dang it. 
My mind uh, shed at Aunt May's house. <laughs> oh, yeah. What did you guys think about Kate Bishop in here? I thought she was good. I, I mean, I'm prone to like Kate Bishop after Hawkeye uh, 2012 series, you know? No, I, I wasn't a fan um, of this one. I, th- yeah, I think I, I, I don't think the character is defined yet in the way that she would become in Hawkeye. She was such a very specific character in Hawkeye that that's that's who Kate Bishop is in my head. Mm-hmm. So like when I saw this Kate Bishop, I was like, ooh, I don't like I don't like pre pre fraction Kate Bishop. It's not my jam. Yeah, and I don't I don't I actually don't love her costume either. Yeah, midriff and winter is stupid. Like <laughs> let, let's just not. <laughs> Like we okay, but hold on. We respect it when Namor does it. Well, he insists upon himself. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to be leered at. Yeah, you, you know, know <laughs> you know who addresses that really well. My Hero Academia anime. They give all the kids winter costumes. You guys, anything that you can try to like subliminally trick me into getting into anime every time. I feel like literally once every other month, we're like, John, you should watch My Hero Academia. Yeah. Like, it's not subliminal. It's liminal. <laughs> liminal. It's liminal. This isn't the subtext. This is just the text. <laughs> <laughs> Which one are we ranking first, Steven? I mean, we go in the order that we, we discussed them, right? Are we ready to move on to the ranking? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find a ceiling. Yeah, these are, that's always the case with these, like, single-issue things, right? Which will, you know, make next time interesting. Anyway, uh, I mean, currently on our list... Though, I think... I sometimes, think... sometimes, it's true. I actually think we had a lot to say about uh, Spider-Man 1 when we read that. That's what I was about to use as an example. Or even the Wolverine, yeah. the Wolverine Christmas one. We also had quite a bit to say on that one. That's fair. So sometimes, they're, they're worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're frequently worth it to read. They just don't necessarily ha- carry a lot of like discussion uh, potential. I think I think next time we'll have a lot of discussion potential because we'll also be talking about maybe the legacy. But we'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> True. Uh, currently on our list, we have 171 stories. Man, okay. I, I feel like I have to do this every time we do a holiday special. I don't think... Any of our holiday stories have ranked terribly high. Yeah, is, is the Gwenpool holiday special Merry Mix-Up the highest rated one that we've got? That's at number 65. Yeah, I think if you want to go by technicality, the Matt Fraction one is ranked pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> We included that in with, with the rest of Hawkeye, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, although, here's the thing, though. When you said the the Matt Fraction Hawkeye holiday special, I didn't think about the NBC Wintertime Winter Friends Winter Friends special. I thought of Clint Barton asking Tony Stark over to install his DVR or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the holiday special in my head, even though it's definitely not. It's the Chris Eliopoulos drawn bit, but... Uh, yeah, no, so the holiday stories solo don't tend to rank terribly high. Uh, Moon Knight... Sorry, for, for what it's worth, though, the the NBC Wintertime Winter Friends special did rank at number 50. Oh, okay, so it was well, higher. No, wait, that was its initial rank, and we eventually pushed oh. it down to 95 before we consolidated it. Oh, so is it <laughs> is it consistent? Like, it, it got worse and worse the more... I think we just read a lot of good stuff. Yeah, we just read a lot of stuff that was better. That's fair. 
Okay, so so Moon Knight, Silent Night. Where do we want to rank this? I, I'm looking. The highest I would put it is at 127 above Longshot. Because I don't like Longshot. But the Portal <laughs> City of Pan was interesting and a good idea. And so that goes higher. I don't know. I like... I think some of the stories beneath there, and this isn't just me talking because I like Longshot better than you guys, but... I think the Ghost Rider Christmas special is better than this. Yeah, Sweet Christmas, the the uh, Power Man and Iron Fist holiday special, right. that was better than this. Right. The Star Wars Valentine's story I thought was better than this. Heck, even some of these kind of like forgettable stories, like freaking, I probably would rank New Warriors higher than this, I think. I don't remember anything like particularly offensive in New Warriors that put it down this low. Or just just kind of. Oh, kinda that's ends. actually above the Ghost Rider Christmas special. Oh yeah. Oh, sh- Rise of the Midnight Suns. I thought Ride was better the than pain this. Train. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, I. How did Longshot end up so Stephen? This is your dude. It yeah. Oh, it's a hundred percent me that it's that. <laughs> Some of these stories down here shouldn't be this low. I don't think. Okay, look, it's it's definitely better than Galacta, Daughter of Galactus, and... I'm not sh- Is it, though? <laughs> yes, Galacta, da- Galacta, Daughter of Galactus was bad. Like, like all-out bad. This, like, you know, was not great, but I wouldn't say fully bad. It was a bummer of a story. I didn't enjoy yeah. it, but it was yeah. at least not like whatever the heck that was. Oh, we're in the neighborhood with another Peter Milligan story, the real battle, battle of the atom. That's the dupe miniseries. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's what I'm saying is like the low, right? And so some it's somewhere between 127 and 148 out of our total of 171. I actually think it goes at 148 because I would rather read that dupe story again personally. Although, what do you think? I think Galactus should be higher, but I am wrong in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, you are. Gross. It's twice tonight. Do you remember I how Galacta ends with her discovering that she's pregnant, and that's a cliffhanger, and that's it? Yeah, but also she wants to nom on a giant Wolverine planet head. But... She... Wait, what? <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. Just go I... listen to the episode. Galacta walked so Gwenpool could run. That's what I'm realizing. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'll put this above Galacta, below Battle of the Atom. Yeah. Okay, that's our new number 148. My personal opinion is that this was the worst of the three. I would rate the Punisher story higher, but I'm not sure how much higher. Yeah, it was... I don't know, though. I didn't like either one. <laughs> it was... Like, <laughs> I, 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 this is hard. I probably wouldn't put it... Uh, I would put it just above Ride the Pain Train. Yeah. Because I can't Here's even the... remember what Ride the Pain Train is anymore. I, I remember, okay, the the reason I think that I fought for Ride the Pain Train to go higher, other than the fact that I, that I was really trying to like the Punisher at that point, is I really liked the art. Yes. And I feel like Ride the Pain Train has better art. That's fair. I'm not really picky on that, so we could put it above or below it. I feel like it's comparable to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think we're going to set the precedent that most Punisher stories wind up in the same section of the list. Mm-hmm. Too bad we can't get that Archie versus Punisher comic. <laughs> That'd be so ridiculous. I, I still can't believe that it's real. <laughs> uh, John, how do you Freaking feel? Archie. Uh, above or below uh, Pain Train? <sighs> above Pain Train. Really? I didn't like Pain Train, and I don't want to think about it enough to critically, like, oh, well... 
Well, this steaming <laughs> pile was uh, large, and many people could step in it, but this large steaming pile was, uh, you know, especially stinky, so how do you... Apples and oranges, hmm. It could be higher than Pain Train. Um, I seem to... I feel like this plot is better than Pain Train. Uh, I've also probably blocked out Pain Train. Yeah, not a not a Punisher fan, guys. I've tried, and it's, it's not happening. Not happening. Archie or no yeah, Archie? Yeah, finally getting yeah. disillusioned, too. Okay, so, yeah, that's the new number 140. Thor the Eternal Saga was better. There we go. Last story, Winter Kills, Winter Soldier, Winter, Winter Kills. It's fine. It goes significantly higher, but it doesn't get into, like, the... the I don't think it gets into the must-read section of the list. Do you think it breaks into the double digits? Or does it stay in the triples? <sighs> What's well, number 100? Uh, number 100 is House of M. I almost would say no... Because here's the thing, even if you're doing a reread of Brubaker Captain America, this single issue is pretty skippable. Uh, so let me ask you this other question. How does this compare to the mutant who came to dinner? I'd rather read that. I Only because men he says, Magneto, men call me Magneto. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb that it's fun. And it's an older comic, so you get to see like, wow, they're all... They're all in costume. Like, Namor's naked. Namor shows up in his skivvies, right? Oh, yeah, he does. Did we already make a joke about how Namor has to put down newspaper before he sits on the sofa in nothing but his underwear? Did we make that joke? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Sounds like a joke we made. Hello, hello, Namor. Welcome to Thanksgiving. Put some friggin' paper on the... Namor, why must you insist upon yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Why must you insist upon those shorts? Insist upon this joke. It goes above Civil War because obviously it's going to. <laughs> I don't mind the story. I think that it's, you know, we get to see this side of Bucky. I, I don't know. I liked it. it. I liked it. So it goes in the section yeah. of like and not, you know, dislike. And so it's going to go higher, I think, than, you know. Yeah, and actually, like, okay, so the reason that I said House of M probably goes higher is because I feel like House of M is more of a must read and this is not a must read. But, like, you know, not that far below House of M is Old Man Logan. I'd much rather read this than Old Man Logan. So, maybe, I don't know, maybe, mm, just above Executioner's Song, maybe? I don't know, this one's hard to rank. I don't think it's that good. Executioner's Song was, like, kind of sprawling and had a lot going on, and this is very straightforward. It's, you know, just about Bucky. A couple of other people are featured. You know, he helps some kids. He, He, like, pays his respects, you know. Literally everything in this comic makes more sense than Strife force-feeding Cyclops baby food with two of his fingers. Yeah, but like the difficulty level of that nonsense is higher than Bucky has a night out. I am never going to forget that image of of Strife shoving baby food in Cyclops' maw. I guess Winter Kills is easier to stomach. Oh my... Yuck. I'm just mad. I'm just mad. <laughs> I mean, we're going just based on simplicity alone, or like, not simplicity. If we're going on how understandable something is without prior context, this is much more understandable than Executioner's Song. (sighs) John, where do you want to put it? Like, shoot your shot. That's the thing, is like, I just, it's fine, but I don't feel (laughs) like I need to, like, advocate for it, because, eh. Like, I like it better than Damage Control. How about that? And that's 136. Oh, wow. 
That's way low. Um, where were you guys? That's beneath long shot. Hold on. I need to look up higher. I thought I was like, well, definitely above Mary Jane Homecoming and shut your holes. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I don't disagree. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad that you're able to separate your art right? from your mind. Um, you know, somewhere in this, in this like first hundred region is fair. I think I would put, yeah, I would put it at 103, like right under Executioner's Song. But I understand you guys would want it higher, or yeah, or or more that you want Executioner's Song lower. So okay, there it is. Um, wait, where it is? Did we decide above or below? Oh, I, I say I it. say below. You guys say above. Let's put it below. I don't want to. Like this isn't worth fighting over. <laughs> <gasps> is that how I get my way? <laughs> we spent more time on the ranking than we did discussing the. There's just not much there, and that's fine. There didn't need to be anything mm-hmm. there. Yeah. It was a, f- a fairly enjoyable holiday story. You read it, you, you processed it, and now uh, you move on. There you go. Uh, number 103, between Executioner's Song and Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Mm-hmm. Okay, but is this, ba- is this better than Twas the Fight Before Christmas? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't remember how that one wound up there, because every time I look at Twas the Fight Before Christmas, I'm like, Darwin Cook, that should be good. Why isn't it good? Though apparently, I, I remember we did like the whole bit about J. Jonah Jameson having to deal with a bunch of kids. I remember, like, questioning whether it was, like, racist or not. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, because it's a bunch of, like, Japanese school kids who don't speak English. Oh, yeah. Right? That's not racist. That's comedy. <laughs> I think maybe the reason it wound up so low is anytime I ask my, have to ask myself, is it racist, I just get mad. <laughs> Welcome to 2021, Stephen. Whether it is yeah. or not, whether it is or not, it doesn't matter. If I have to ask the question, I get mad. So for our next episode, uh, it's going to come out right around New Year's. We're going to do this again, but I don't know that there are that many New Year's specials. Instead of focusing on holiday specials, we're going to focus on beginnings. And we're going to read three single-issue stories that introduce some of our favorite Marvel characters. And now when I pitched this idea, I was expecting us to get like, Captain America and the X-Men or stuff like that. And no, we wound up with some interesting characters. So the most conventional, we're going to read Fantastic Four issue number five, which is the first appearance of the best villain, Doctor Doom. We're going to read the first issue of the Savage She-Hulk and the second issue of Edge of the Spider-Verse, which introduces Spider-Gwen. I actually really like this eclectic collection we've got. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And until next time, fellas, uh, happy holidays. Yeah. I th- I think at some point we should read the rest of the Edge of Spider-Verse issues and just rank each of those individually. Okay. I mean, they all introduce individual characters who potentially could go off into their own thing. Mm-hmm. So that seems reasonable. Um, yeah, they're all pretty they're all, they're all good. I will. Mm-mm. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> the good ones are really good. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I'll remember the issue that introduced the spider pimp. I haven't read this. I should make it clear. I've never read this. I have no idea who gets introduced. I don't know. There's a, there's a there's a few of them, but uh, I don't. Know. I like it. I actually own that issue physically, and I guess it goes for quite a bit of money now because Spider Gwen is pretty popular. Sure is, and I mean we're gonna talk about that more once we we talk about her next time. But it is nice to have someone rescued from the fridge, right? We defrosted them. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it, dude. And I said it, and I'm still happy about it. <laughs> <laughs>